following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. How we doing, Christian Life? We doing all right? Good, good, good. You may be seated. You may be seated. Hey, we're so glad that you're here tonight. What a great crowd on Spring Break Wednesday. Uh, give yourselves a hand, a big round of applause that you're here. That's awesome. Proud of you. You never cease to amaze me. We had Christmas on a Sunday, and we were bantering in the office going, will anybody show up? And there was overflow, people standing up on the side. I mean, you never cease to amaze us. Uh, you're so dedicated to this house and to Jesus, and we honor you tonight. I also want to honor my senior pastor, Rex Johnson. Um, we get, yeah, we get uh, 52 of these Wednesdays and Sundays and 104 in a year to get to address uh, you sweet people, and I, I appreciate the opportunity anytime I'm, I'm asked to, to bring the word. And I also want to recognize, I don't know where they landed, but uh, some friends of mine, Brad and Kirsty Reston, there they are right there, y'all stand up, go ahead, stand up, yep. These are my friends from Dallas and Kirsty. <clears throat> when I first got into ministry 13 years ago, she was in my youth group. So don't talk to her because she has way too many, many things about me, dirt on me, that I don't need you knowing, okay? Glad y'all are here. All right, well, let's talk about, for a second, the generation that I grew up in, the 80s. Where are my 80s kids? Make some noise if you're an 80s kid. Yeah. I barely made it. I was nine months away from being a 70s baby. But if you're 70s or 80s, anywhere in that generation, uh, really 70s and 80s children, they had video games, but they weren't as prevalent, they weren't as accessible, and they really weren't popular until the mid to late 80s. Uh, we played with things like the Rubik's Cube and, uh, and the Glow Worm. That thing was just creepy. Let's be honest. You're sleeping with a luminescent worm. That's weird. And, um, and then we had... Uh, we had He-Man, that was my big thing, He-Man, Masters of the Universe, and, uh, and then you had that, that watery slush that came out of your Snoopy snow cone machine. It tasted disgusting, but we pretended to like it. Uh, but that was the area that I grew up in, and, and that was when, when kids, when they would go play, they would actually go play outside where it was dangerous, and we had a great time out there, and then somewhere along the way, moms mandated that kids started wearing bike helmets. Um, yeah, we do too. Our kids wear, I, don't, I never owned a bike helmet. I never had a, a car seat. I don't think I even wore a seat belt growing up. My seat belt was my dad going, oh, you know, if he stopped abruptly. Y'all with me? Yeah, I, we, had, we, had a, uh, we had one of those big old long, looked like a boat, Cadillacs. And anybody else like ride in the back window and look at all the other traffic behind you? Anybody do? And then my dad would hit the brakes and I'd fly into the floorboard. That's why everybody who's 30 to 40 has a bit of brain trauma tonight. So I'm just, that's why that happened. One of my favorite childhood memories was when my dad came home and, uh, and he, he brought home from this business trip a wagon. But it wasn't just any wagon. It was the Rolls Royce of wagons. It was the radio flyer wagon. Pastor Brad's got my wagon up here. Woo! This bring back any memories for anybody? Thank you, Pastor Brad. Yeah. This, this was it. The cool, all the cool kids had this wagon. Here's what you would do is you would take the wagon and you would take all your cool stuff, whatever you had, all the cool stuff, all the valuable things that you own, and you put it in the wagon, and then you just pull it around. That's what you did. That's what cool kids did. 
You just pulled around your stuff. You know, you had all your valuable stuff. Don't have a car? No problem. I got the wagon. That's all I needed in my life. Whatever was valuable to you, baseball cards, dolls, you put it in the wagon and you rolled. That's what the cool kids did. Uh, It got a little weird when I got to high school, but, you know, this was very important to me, the wagon. We're right in the middle of a series called Getting Back on the Wagon. And in week one, we talked about faith. We talked about getting back on the wagon of faith. And then last week, Pastor did an incredible job talking about getting back on the wagon of friendships. Good friendships. Solomon said it so well. Walk with the wise and become wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. You walk with wise people, you'll gain wisdom. You walk with foolish people, you will suffer harm. So tonight, we're going to get back on the wagon of something else. But before we get back on the wagon, I've got a question for you. Before we get back on the wagon, let me ask you, what is currently in the back of your wagon? What's in the back of your wagon? You see, all of us have these metaphorical wagons, and it holds those things that are most valuable to you. The things you love more dearly than anything else, that you keep them in your wagon, and they actually become your identity. You love them so much, they give meaning to your life. And the concept of of, of having a wagon and carrying your wagon is not a new one. In fact, our text tonight, out of Mark chapter 10, we see this guy who came to Jesus pulling his wagon full of his valuables. Mark 10, if you have your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This story is actually recorded in Matthew and Luke. And it co-stars not only Jesus, but this other gentleman. And in Matthew, he's called young. And in Luke, he's called rich. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you know him as the rich, young ruler. Now, if you're not a church person, this is an easy story to listen to. And whether you've heard this story literally zero times or if you've heard it hundreds of times, what I'd love for you to do is I want you to listen to this story, listen to this narrative, and find yourself in the narrative. Try to find yourself in this story. And uh, I want you to be thinking about what is in my wagon? What's in my wagon? What are you dragging through life that props you up? It's kind of your identity. It's it's more valuable to you than anything else. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, it starts like this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I like this guy right away because he's enthusiastic. He comes running to Jesus. He bows down before Jesus. There's a lot of enthusiasm. And he asks a very sincere question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's going to happen to me when I die? So he's maybe out of breath. His chest is trying to catch his breath. And he exposes a little bit of his soul here with a very honest question. What must I do? To inherit, he wants to do something. What do I do to inherit eternal life? I want to do something. Give me something to do. Give me a hoop to jump through. Give me a Bible verse to memorize. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at verse 18. Jesus answers, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. What's interesting about this verse is Jesus doesn't finish. He doesn't finish all of the commandments. 
And I know he knew all of the commandments, so why didn't he finish? A lot of biblical scholars believe that, that this enthusiastic, rich young ruler probably interjected, interrupted him, because he starts listing off all of these things. Certainly somebody who has a Jewish background would hear all these commandments, and, and he replies in verse 20, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> now, he might have known them. Chances are he knew them. He probably had a lot of them memorized, maybe all of them memorized, but he didn't keep them. Nobody keeps them all without a fall. Nobody does that. Maybe he kept them externally, but internally he broke commandments. We all do. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's, that's what Romans 3 tells us. But he's basically saying in this moment, he goes, I'm perfect. I've kept all of the commandments. And look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him. And loved him. I'm just going to pause the verse there. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That is God in the flesh, folks. Looking at him and loving him. What if I were to ask you, if Jesus' eyes were fixated on yours, what would you see in Jesus' eyes? What would you say? Because a lot of people that I've talked to would say something like, well, I think that Jesus would look on me with condemnation or with shame or with indifference or with a sense of embarrassment. But Jesus says, I looked on him with love. And I wonder, what if Jesus isn't who you think he is? What if when Jesus looks at you, he's not looking at you mad or disappointed? What if when he looks at you, he looks at you with love? Not because you're perfect. Because he's perfect and you're his creation. And for some of you, that may be what you came for. You're dismissed. That may be what you needed to hear tonight is that when Jesus looks on you, he loves you. He looks on you with love. Not anything else. Not condemnation. Not shame. Not disappointment. Not anger. He looks on you with love. And I think for some of you, your whole life would be totally different if you thought that Jesus looks on me with genuine eyes of love. Look at the rest of verse 21. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. That is one of the toughest things Jesus ever said. Go sell everything that's in your wagon, and then come follow me. And notice when this man asked for eternal life, Jesus doesn't comfort him with this uh, answer like, oh, come here, let's hug it out, right? He, he, he confronts him, he doesn't comfort him, he confronts him with this word, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Oh, read, that is an ugly word. I know, nobody likes that word. Many of us here, you're like, not, not sacrifice. I know what some of you are thinking, like, read, please. I brought a friend tonight, please. I told them you were funny, please, don't go to sacrifice. Now, let me be really, really, really clear here. The issue is not money. The issue is not money. The issue is sacrifice. The issue is not money. I'll say it again. The issue is sacrifice. Okay? You can follow Jesus and have money. I do. I'm rich. I'm loaded. I have so much money. I don't know if you can tell from the wardrobe that I have, but it's an exclusive club to be able to shop at Old Navy. Not everybody can do it. And... uh And if this doesn't convince you, you can follow me after we get done to the parking lot to my Ford F-150 pickup truck with 190,000 miles on it. I am rolling. It's a Lariat edition. Yeah, that's right. All right. So I'm I'm really, really rich. And so are you. So are you. 
maybe, maybe not rich by Austin, Texas standards, but rich by global standards where the average family income for a year is less than $10,000. So if you and your family make more than $10,000, you are loaded. You're really, really rich. But money's not evil. Money is not evil. Money's not the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches what? The love of money is the root of all. Money is good. Money is useful. It is helpful. Money is not bad. Jesus wasn't telling this guy, be a philanthropist and go into poverty so that you can follow me. Jesus was just exposing what's in this guy's wagon. And in doing so, he was revealing the affection of the guy's heart. Jesus knew that the stuff in his wagon would get in the way of the rich young ruler following him. And here's what's most fascinating to me about this story. I completely missed this. The first hundred times I read this story, I completely missed it. That Jesus actually wants this guy to follow him. I I always thought of this guy as I, I demonized him. That he's just this rich, materialistic young man. But Jesus says, no, no, I want you to follow me. Just get rid of the stuff that's getting in the way. And sometimes we've got to let go of the stuff that's in our plan so that we can have the more preferred plan that God has for our lives. No, I don't think some of you in the balcony got it. Sometimes we got to let go of what's in our plan so that we can have the more preferred plan that God has for our lives. we got to let go of that stuff. So Jesus is saying with eyes of love, I want you to follow me. As a matter of fact, the question you're asking about eternal life, it's this way. I'm headed this way. I just want you to let go of the wagon because it's going to get in the way of you and I walking intimately together. Look at verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And the word sad there in the Greek means a progressive storm is coming. I don't know what that word, that face fell. I don't know how, I don't understand that. But just, I just get this picture of his just, just this dejected and just downtrodden and upset, disappointed because what was in his wagon was more important than Jesus. You see, this guy, he wasn't pulling his wagon. This guy wasn't pulling, this, this rich young ruler, he wasn't pulling his wagon. His wagon was pulling him. And he went away sad because he knew that what was in the wagon was more important than a relationship with Jesus. And as he walks away, Jesus says, hey, everybody come in. And he gets everybody together. Look at verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's an interesting language, and I I looked this up, and a lot of biblical scholars think that this is um, Hebrew humor. That he was trying to be funny, and like, guys, it would be easier if you took a camel and you put him through the eye of a needle. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, that that Hebrew humor, you've got me. I don't think that's what he was doing. I don't think he was trying to be funny. I think he was trying to teach a lesson, and when he said that, it was like he blew confusion dust all over the disciples. They're really confused. Look at the next two verses, verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So why are they so confused? Well, it was belief in this culture, in this time frame, that people who were wealthy 
were viewed as people whom God had blessed. And so if you had great wealth, you had God's blessing. So it was inconceivable in the mind of a Jewish person that a rich man or a rich woman could not get access to God. They're thinking, if the rich dude isn't getting in, I got no shot. What kind of kingdom are you talking about, Lord? And Jesus made it very clear. When it comes to salvation, it's nothing you do. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. You can't do anything. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you and I sin, we fall short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, the wages of that sin, Romans 6 says, it's death. Like we deserve death. In fact, Ephesians 2, 3 says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. We deserve wrath. We deserve death. That's what we deserve. But it goes on a little bit later saying that God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, makes us alive in Christ. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners just like you and I. And so he died on the cross for us. He, he loved you so much. God loved you so much, you so much, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in that son will not die, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And the way you do that is through faith in Jesus, is putting your hope in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is very clear. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. It's not by works. You can't do anything. I can't pay my way in. I can't play my way in on a human effort. I can't get to heaven on my own. This is a different kind of kingdom. In verse 28, Peter speaks up. He says, we have left everything to follow you. Exclamation point. You can almost hear him getting heated. In the book of Matthew, this same text, this verse, it says, what will we get out of it? Peter says, what will we get out of it? It's a fair question. You know, Pete's going, Lord, I mean, seriously, I left the family fishing business to follow you. My parents are ticked. And we get out here, and I'm not saying it hasn't been fun. I like listening to you teach, and I love seeing you do miracles. And when you threw those demons into the pigs, that was hilarious. But listen, like I don't, this isn't a great career path for me. What am I going to tell my friends at the 20-year reunion? Like, I need some direction, Lord. What is in this for me? What will I get out of it? And this question, Jesus, what will I get out of it? I think you ought to be asking this question, too. Well, Lord, what, what, what will I get out of it if I give this, if I sacrifice for you? What will I get out of it? Is it a selfish question? Yes, but let's be honest. Who's kidding who? We're selfish. All of us have some tendency of selfishness in us. What will I get out of it if I put you, Jesus, before my wagon? Anybody want to know the answer? Okay, three people. Y'all come over here. Everybody else is dismissed. Y'all want to know the answer? Okay. Here's what we're doing. We're going to go up the roller coaster, all right? What am I going to get out of this? And then we're going to plunge down. So hold on to your pancreas. Here we go. This is what Jesus says. Very truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive, say it with me, a hundred times as much in this present age. A hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Oh, man, I wish the rich guy hadn't walked away, because he missed this. 
he went away sad carrying his belongings in his wagon. And he missed this. He says, if you give this up, whatever you give up for me, I'm telling you, anything that you give up, I'm going to give it back a hundred times to you. In this present age, listen, I know a lot of us, we, we, we think about heaven and it's going to be great and he's going to bless us in heaven. He's going to reward us in heaven. The Bible's very clear about that. But he says, in this present age, it's going to happen here. And see, what he was doing with the, with the rich young ruler, he was asking about life after death. And he goes, yeah, 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 I'm going to give you eternal life, but I'm going to give you abundant life right now in this present age, in this kingdom, the kingdom that's come on this earth as it is in heaven. There's so much more available. I want to illustrate this to you. You understand there's a difference between a hundred times as much and a hundred percent. Right? There's a difference. A hundred percent and a hundred times. Does anybody have a dollar bill on the front couple of rows? Like dollar bill? Anybody have a dollar? Everybody is broke. Mark, you got one? Okay. Thanks. Anybody else have a dollar bill I could borrow? You get to keep it. You get to keep it. All right, stand up, Marla. All right. Now, here's what I can do. I can give you 100% of that dollar. Or, this is pretty exciting, I can give you 100 times that dollar. Now, now, before you answer, it's like, let's make a deal, okay? 100%, 100 times, can you see that? That's nice, that's real, that's a real deal. I went to the bank and cleaned out my bank account just for this illustration, okay? 100%, 100 times, which do you want? 100 times, 100 times, okay. So for your dollar bill, what I'm going to give you um, I know what you want, but we don't always get what we want. So I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a hundred percent, and then next week when Pastor preaches, he'll give you the other ninety nine dollars. Okay, it's a down payment. It's a down payment. And don't give that dollar back to Mark. He needs to learn about sacrifice. Okay. Here's why I want you to get this so badly. I've talked to so many people that have checked off the eternal life box, and they're just kind of waiting until heaven gets here. They kind of checked it off. Oh, I, I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm following him, and I've checked it off. I'm going to go to heaven. But their life today is miserable because they don't understand kingdom living in this present age. It's not my promise. It's the promise of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. And it wasn't follow me after you die. It's follow me right now. There's so much more to this life that's just waiting for you before heaven. How many of you here have ever been to a Disney theme park, Disney World, Disneyland? Hands high. Okay. All right. So Disney, um, I got the opportunity uh, actually three spring breaks ago to take our kids to, to, to Disney, my wife and I, my mother. It was awesome. It is truly the happiest place on earth. My kids smiled ear to ear nonstop for three days. We had an incredible time. And uh, when you walk through the opening gate, you get to the entrance of the park. The entrance of the park, it looks like this. Okay, so you come in, and it's just, it's stunning. I mean, they, they paint the, uh, the, the, the posts, like the, the light posts, they paint them every single night. So it's a brand new, fresh coat of paint, the best 
customer experience. It's a wow factor. We're at Disney. My kids are excited. My wife is excited. My wife's a bigger fan of Disney than my kids. It's incredible. And then some of the characters start coming out, right? Because you, you get there right when they, and they start coming out and you see Buzz Lightyear and Mickey Mouse and there's Pluto and the Mary Poppins people and they're all coming out and they're singing. And you can take pictures and photobomb tourists and it's incredible. Then you can actually get with your buddy and take a picture next to the, uh, to the carnations, right? The Mickey Mouse carnation. They got this beautiful design. You get your buddy there and it's a ton of fun. People from every nation represented. It's amazing. But what if, what if your whole Disney experience was just at the entrance? Now, you got a ticket. You can go in all day, every day, but you just go into the entrance. Now, you're in Disney. You're in Disney. You're there. You technically made it. And there's the Mickey Mouse ears we can buy over here, and, and over here I can be, get some ice cream. I'm in the, but I never leave the entrance. Are you, are you tracking with where I'm going with this? Until somebody comes along and looks at you with genuine eyes of love and says, Oh man, I've been watching your Disney experience and I just want you to know there is so much more for you. Follow me. And he takes you through one of those tunnels and then you pop out on Main Street and you're like, Whoa. And there's all these fantastic rides and incredible shows and, and, and you just, it's amazing. It's, it's the kingdom of happiness. It's the kingdom of your dreams. It's the kingdom of joy. It's the kingdom of fun. Everywhere you go. You just had no idea because you were stuck in the entrance. This kingdom was so much better and cooler than I ever could have imagined. But I didn't know that because I was back at the entrance and I was so close. I was so close to seeing all this the entire time. Here's why this is really personal to me. It's because for the first 10 or 15 years of my following of Jesus, I was stuck at the entrance of my faith. And I was just really living life uh, through religion. And I was trying to um, fulfill Christian principles and do Christianese thing. It was based on Christian performance. And I was loitering, loitering around in the entrance of following Jesus. I didn't understand kingdom living. And the kingdom I'm talking about is way greater than the magic one in Florida or California. And you can have it today in this present age and the age to come. You can. So how? That's what you're thinking. How? How how does this play out? How do I get this? How do I get 100 times kingdom living? How does that pan out in my life? Here's the equation. Sacrifice is equivalent to a hundred times kingdom living. Sacrifice is equal to a hundred times kingdom living. That's what Jesus taught. That's it. I sacrifice, and then I experience a hundred times living he has for me. Kingdom living means Jesus meets my sacrifice, and then a hundred times more results is manufactured than I could have created on my own. And it doesn't mean we all sacrifice the same thing. Two chapters later, we're looking at Mark 10. Look at Mark chapter 12. Look at these uh, four verses here. Mark 12, 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more 
had put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. She put in the whole wagon. All she had to live on. Isn't that awesome? You know what's incredible? We're still talking about this lady in 2018. She put in a few cents. It wasn't the amount she put in. It was the sacrifice that she made. That's why she's famous and why we're talking about her in Austin, Texas, 2,000 years later. It's incredible. It's not the amount that's important. It's the sacrifice. She gave her whole wagon. Now, I'm going to talk for a minute about the One Campaign, okay? I'm very, very passionate about the One Campaign. Listen, I, I know that you probably may think that we're excited about getting a little new coats of paint and some upgraded bathrooms and, and, and all that stuff. That's not what I'm excited about. I'm excited about the possibility of having this many people times two. Seeing that many people, your friends, your family, your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors reach with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. You've been a part of this church for long enough to know that there are so many Sundays and even Wednesdays where we're, we're at overflow. We had to put people in a room where they have to watch on a television screen. That's miserable. Like, if you have to come here and park in Waco and then get to the church... And- <laughs> and by the way, I'm so glad we have a parking problem. I'm so, I'm so glad I can't park on the front row. I'm so glad of that. That's a dead church. I want to park in Saskatchewan. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want this place to be booming and then have to truck me in and have to park at Burger Stadium. Like, that's what I want. And we know we have parking issues. We're going to address all of those things. But listen, this one campaign is a bigger thing. It's about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. People that you do life with. We want them to come here. And we have had feedback where people, on Easter, it's going to happen. And it breaks my heart. There will be people that will hit those doors and they'll go, there's no place for me. And they'll turn around and they may never come back. I don't want to miss that opportunity. These are people that need Christ. And so we need to make it readily available for them. And so, I've got good news. The gymnasium, we started construction on that this week. So it started. It started. It started. And hopefully in the next year and a half, you're going to see so many changes happening to this building. But my goal, my prayer, is that this thing is completely paid off before we ever set foot in it. That we don't have to take out a loan and pay a bank and pay interest. I don't want to do that. I think we can do that if we all understand this concept of sacrifice. I think we can. I'm praying. I'm praying that someone, maybe someone here tonight, I'm praying someone is going to give a million-dollar gift. That's what I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm praying that someone's going to give a hundred-dollar gift. And to God, that hundred-dollar gift may be more important than the million-dollar gift because it's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. And the hundred dollars might have been a huge sacrifice for someone, whereas the million may not have been that big of a sacrifice. We all just get on this same team and say, God, I want to see your kingdom grow in Austin. Not this church. It's not about this church. It's not about our pastoral team. It's about the kingdom of God and seeing people reach with a life-changing message. The good news of Christ. Get on the team. And listen, sacrifice is not always financial. I want you to know that. You, You know that, but it's not always financial. You can sacrifice other things and experience this hundred times kingdom living. I'll give you an example. Not too long ago, I'm, I'm out for a run. And uh, <laughs> it's really a jog because running would imply speed. And uh, 
Okay, it was more like a stroll. <laughs> so I'm walking um, to get ice cream. And uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I was walking to the mailbox. And, uh, but our mailbox is pretty far. My wife can attest to this. It's a couple of blocks away. So I'm walking to the mailbox. And, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm praying. And there's just some stuff that's caused me great consternation, things that I'm praying through, and I just want wisdom on. I just need God's guidance. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm emotional tonight. Um, we, uh, my wife and I really want to adopt a baby. Um, we do. Because... We know that there is a, there, there's a great line in the movie Lion, and I might butcher the movie, but in the movie Lion, I'm not ruining the movie for you, but it's about adoption, and, and there's, a, there's a scene in the movie where um, the adopted son asks his mother, Nicole Kidman, uh, he says, I'm sorry you and, your da- you and dad couldn't have your own kids. She said, what are you talking about? And he said, you couldn't have own, your own kids, so you had to adopt my brother and, and me. And she said, we could have our own kids. We chose to have you. And he said, well, why? Why wouldn't you have your own kids? And she said, your father and I knew that this world could be an evil place. And us having kids doesn't change the world. But us adopting you changes your world. (laughs) So we knew we wanted to adopt for a long time. And then I saw that movie. And God, yeah, he spoke to me through a movie, believe it or not. Hollywood's not completely evil. And God said, you could do this. You could bring a better world to some child out there. And so uh, I don't know how that's going to happen. I might have a child show up at my doorstep tonight, and that's my new son or daughter. But, but we, we thought initially we were going to go through the foster process, and we've since nixed that. We don't know that that's exactly what God wants for us right now. I, I think it's awesome, but it's just not what we need for our family right now. And so just praying through some of those things. And, and because we thought we were going that direction to, to adopt, foster to adopt, uh, we had to do some things. We had to Remember the cleaning the garage? That was what my wife said. That's why. We had to clean the garage for, uh, uh, to, for our home inspection and all those things. So I'm just like going through all this. And I have a bunch of church plant sound equipment and all this just speakers and things. I'm like, what am I going to do with all this stuff? And So I just had all this stuff that I'm wrestling with. Okay. So fast forward to the next day. And uh, I was, I was um, at one of my regional offices, Pluckers. And I'm, I'm having lunch. <laughs> And uh, I was kind of in a hurry. And one, one of, my, one of my, my, my wagon, if I could just be transparent with you tonight, my wagon is I love to get things done. And I have incredible work ethic. And, and it, it's, it's also, it's become kind of a problem. Pastor has, has counseled me on this because he said I work too late and I work too hard and I need to scale back because I overdo it sometimes. And I just, I just, I don't know. It's my wagon. I love to have a to-do list and knock things off my to-do list. And sometimes I've even been guilty, and I need to apologize to you because I've done this for you, and I'm going to get better about this, I, I promise. But on this last Sunday, I was in my office trying to get things done. I mean, things that need to be done, but trying to get things done instead of coming out here and loving next. And I'm going to fix that because that's, that's my wagon. Um, I'm not just to the detriment of relationships. It's not that I don't love you. It's just, I just that's my wagon. So anyway, I'm kind of in a hurry, and I'm doing some stuff at Pluckers, and I see a pastor friend of mine, and the first thing I thought is I don't have time to talk to him, and so I just thought I'm just going to keep doing my business and then get out of here again, my wagon, and lots to do that day, and then I just got convicted, and the Holy Spirit of God just kind of said, what are you doing, Reed? 
Like, this is your friend, and go over there. He didn't see me. He was at the other end of the restaurant, so I could have snuck out, and I thought, no. And so I went over to him, and I just started talking to him, and usually our conversations get really lengthy, and I knew that. And so anyway, we just started talking, and, um, and then as he always does, as he always does, every single time, this pastor friend of mine, he goes, how can I pray for you? And uh, so I said, well, funny that you mentioned this. Yesterday, I was just kind of praying, and God was putting these things in my heart, and, I, you know, I've got, we want to adopt, and we don't know how we're going to get a baby, and it's really expensive if we do it through an agency, and so how do we get the money? Like, I, well, I don't know how we're going to do this, and we've got all this equipment. I've got to get all this figured out, and he goes, what do you mean sound equipment? And I said, we just got a lot of just monitors and speakers and subwoofers and just stuff that is just taking up room in my garage. I've got to get rid of it. I've got to sell it or something, and he goes, we actually are in desperate need of some monitors, and uh I said, wow. And I, I offered to give them to him, and, and, and he said, no, are you kidding me? He said, this is a great way that we can help fund this adoption. He said, let me, let me pay you for these monitors. So he bought some monitors off of me, and guess what he paid me? A hundred dollars. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that would have been so cool. <laughs> he paid me 75. But um, I always want a story like that that just lines up perfectly. It didn't work out that time. But anyway. He gave me $75, and uh, we were able to bless him and his church, and he was certainly able to bless us. And I almost pictured Jesus on the other side of that plucker's booth, looking at me with eyes of love, saying, Reed, I've got so much more for your life that I want to do in you and through you and around you. If you'll just lay down your wagon and follow me. Here's the question for you tonight. What's in your wagon? What is in your wagon? What do you need to do to sacrifice in order to fully follow Jesus? Randy, if you'll help me. You know what happens to people who follow Jesus? As they learn that the stuff that they put in their wagon was not nearly as important as they thought it was once they start following him fully. When they sacrifice whatever it is that's in your wagon and say, God, I want to give this to you. What do you need to sacrifice to say, God, I'm all in. My heart's with you. I say that. I'm going to put my treasure with you. I'm going to put my time with you. I'm going to put my, use my talents for you. What could you sacrifice? What's in your wagon? And I would encourage you to write it out on a card. I have this card that I keep in, uh, in my wallet. I see it. And uh, it, just, it just is a, a good reminder That if I sacrifice, hundred times kingdom living is a possibility for me. So I encourage you to write that out. Maybe you write it on a new note card like this and you, you tape it to your dashboard. As you're driving around, you just see that hundred times living. If you brush your teeth, maybe you write it on the back of your toothbrush. If you have a pet dog, maybe you shave it into their fur. Or you could get a tattoo. I, you know, whatever. My wife was embarrassed. I showed this photo. She didn't want anybody lusting over my body. Just uh, make yourself a reminder. Sacrifice equals a hundred times kingdom living in this present age. That's what it is. I like the sound of that. I want a hundred times kingdom living. I do. 
That's why I have this. That's why I want you to put that reminder because I know how, I know how messages work. I don't remember what was preached a month ago. I preached a month ago. I don't remember what I preached. Listen, it's hard, but put a reminder out there so you go, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. A hundred times kingdom living. A hundred times kingdom living. Sacrifice equals a hundred times kingdom living. What is God asking you to sacrifice? The loving eyes of Jesus are looking at you and he's saying, go park your wagon and follow me. Are you ready to leave the entrance of your faith and venture into kingdom living where your life will be transformed? And all of a sudden, you'll look like, think like, speak like, be like Jesus. And that's how you'll be defined, not by your wagon, but by the kingdom living that is waiting on you today. Everybody stand with me. Here's what I love to do tonight. I know this is an ugly word. I know it's a hard word. I know it's a word nobody wants to hear. But as we get back on the wagon of our finances, and again, maybe it's not finances for you. Maybe it's something else, and that's okay. I I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to God and His Holy Spirit's prompting. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit tonight. And whatever He's telling you to lay down, whatever's in your wagon, just be obedient with that. Say, "Okay, okay, God, if that's what you need, I give it away. I want to follow you and I want to experience in this present age all that you have for me anybody want all that God has for them in this present age amen amen I do I want all that he can give me so here's what I'd love to do I want every this may be weird you may not be used to this but I'd love for you just to stretch your hands out and there's nothing special I'm just going to pray a prayer for you okay I'm just going to pray a prayer for you that you could be obedient in this moment with whatever God is asking you to do, that you could lay it down and watch God move in a way you haven't seen Him before. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You. We thank You, we thank You for this incredible story of the rich young ruler. Oh, how I wish he could have heard the last part of the story where you offer us a hundred times kingdom living in this present age and in the age to come. You offer us eternal life and abundant life, but God, that kingdom living, that hundred times kingdom living comes with a life that is modeled and mirrored with sacrifice. We see sacrifice and sacrifices. That's hard, Lord, because we have valuable things in our wagons. We're toting them around, and some of them, the, the wagons are actually pulling us May we give that away fully, freely, finally to you so that we can experience the freedom that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. That we can experience what a hundred times living looks like in this present age. God, that we can see your kingdom advanced here on this earth as it is in heaven. That this expression of the bride of Christ would grow and reach more people in South Central Austin and to the ends of the earth. And you'd give us wisdom and leadership and a dream team that could shepherd these people's hearts to fully following you and doing the same experience as kingdom living. Father, for every hand that's in the air, I pray for every single person in the room tonight that God, you would use them You would give them the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to pull it off, to pull off the sacrifice. Whatever you're doing, we don't merely listen to the word and so deceive ourselves. We do what you're asking us to do tonight. 
And we sacrifice. We give it to you. We give it to you. We give it to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people in agreement said, Amen. Amen. Put your hands together. Put your hands together.